Nima Thank you. Thank you, David. Let me begin by uh, three comments by way of introduction before we turn to just uh, a, a very short section in Daniel chapter 7. Firstly, to, to say a little bit about the context where I come from in Scotland, which is very close to here uh, in distance. I think it's fair to say that Scotland is uh, the most secular part of the UK by some way. Secularism has swept into Scotland with a far greater speed and rapidity than any other part of the UK. The two big denominations in Scotland, the Church of Scotland, the Mother Kirk, the equivalent of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, the mother of it, and the Scottish Episcopal Church, the Anglican province in Scotland, are by far and away the two biggest structures. They accounted uh, 10 years ago between them for over 1,600 ministers. These two denominations are now two of the leading revisionist or liberal denominations on the planet. They have enacted in their laws and regulations, which is a very significant step, decisions which represent a clear and emphatic rejection of the authority of Scripture, and as you know, on matters concerning uh, marriage. When a church departs from orthodoxy on a matter concerning marriage in its laws and regulations, that is far more than simply a departure from the authority of Scripture. It is to say that the one uh, illustration that God uses above all else to display the relationship between His Son and His church is wrong. And moreover, it is to add the church's backing to the unwinding of the image of God in humanity in creation. That is a radical, radical step. And that is Scotland. And that has led to extraordinarily difficult circumstances, the breakup of these denominations. And 10 years on, nobody, I think, has the right to say that was right, that was wrong, they stayed, we left. I think that's just what we say when we're in a corner. I think it, it's been extraordinarily difficult. I have colleagues, we were one of the churches that left. We left on the 1st of June 2014, and we sang, Behold Our God. Uh, we sang that today. We left with 350 people and a lectern. That was all. I have close friends who stayed and are still there. And different strategies, different answers, dependent on different circumstances. History will record that the time we have lived through in Scotland was far neater than it actually was because friendships are tugged and so on and so forth. So, I want to say, and if any of them are listening to this, to my colleagues and friends 
who have remained in these structures, that I pray for you and stand with you and will continue to do so. Uh, none of us knows uh, the answer in these circumstances. For us, it's meant uh, eight years on the road and about 30 buildings. Uh, this Sunday, we go back to a building that we bought and have redeveloped uh, and we're delighted uh, to be there. And Daniel has become a book that has been ever precious to us through these uh, difficult times. The second thing I want to say by way of introduction is to thank you, the people of Northern Ireland. I keep saying this, but uh, I think you have many, many strengths, and I know that you feel and embrace the struggles. For example, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland as a denomination, with all the struggles that you have, is perhaps the largest, clearest, strongest denomination in Europe today. And if you can galvanize what you have, what impact that could have on the darkest continent on the planet. And the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland, I got to speak at their conference recently, is, 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 is full of life. And you as a group, and perhaps this is not a cross-section of all, but there is a hunger and a vitality and a life. And I know the grass is not greener, but the emerald grass of this part of the world has blessed Sally and I hugely over these past years. In 2014, in the heat of our difficulties, our elders sent us to the north coast of Ireland for a month and I've always had a huge affection and a thanksgiving for time here, not least this time. It's a kind of emotional time for us, me. After eight years, it's rendered many of us sick and ill, and I think I can be honest with you. Sometimes I wish these things weren't online, but the reason I don't burst into tears is because like many of my generation, we have so much medication in us that we can't. That's true. It's what these drugs do. And it is an emotional time. And the best thing God needed to do for me is to take me out of Scotland for these two days, pending the return on Sunday to the building. So thank you. You didn't know that. But, uh, and God managed to arrange it. It was supposed to be last Sunday, but it was scuppered due to a sealant on a heating door. Um, it's the modern world. So thank you, Ireland, Northern Ireland. Thank you. And the last thing I want to do today, and I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, this is the graveyard shift of all graveyard shifts, which it is. I'm going to say, I want to preach to you as I preach to myself as ministers of the gospel. Peter Adam is, is a great thinking theologian. And he once said to me, why are you preaching that to them? to your church. Why are you preaching Hebrews? Because our congregation is, is hungry for solid food now, so we preach Hebrews. What I want to do is preach to you as pastors, future pastors, Christian workers, and I want to add to this congregation, I want you to fill up the empty seats in your mind with your colleagues, with your wives, 
And many of us can testify, as I can in these past eight years, to the power of a praying, consistent, godly wife who bears so much with us and for us. And to your right-hand people and left-hand people in your churches, you all have them. And to your elders, and so on and so forth. This sermon is for all of us. Now, let me just read these verses from Daniel 7 that are now so familiar to us. These verses are the summit of the summit chapter in this book. Chapter 7, verses uh, 9 to 13. They are, uh, in Daniel, the equivalent of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. While I was thinking about, uh, no, as I looked, verse 9, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head It's the first time this has happened for a long time. Let me start again. As I looked, because it makes you smile and cry at the same time, as I looked, thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white, pure, holy, perfect, the hairs of his head were white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the, last, until the beast was slain, its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. And if that vision of God on his throne and the destruction of all that is evil was not enough for Daniel, he got the next bit. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, the title of our conference these two days has been Seeing God Clearly in a Hostile World. And now that we're preaching, here's three points. Number one, seeing the hostile world clearly. Now, we have seen a great deal in Daniel about the kingdoms of this world. And you are either part of the kingdom of God, 
or you are part of the kingdom of this world. There is no third way or third place. There is no island. There is no no man's land. You are part of the everlasting kingdom of God, a citizen of heaven, or you are part of the kingdom of this world, and your prince is Satan. Now, that may feel to us shocking. It may feel to our congregations shocking. But it's exactly what the Bible says. The kingdoms of this world, though, are not devoid of common grace. They're not. The kingdoms of this world are not devoid of pursuits that are good. So, for example, care for the environment. That's a good thing. We know that this world will not be made new without resurrection. And we know that the human heart is too sinful for every person on the street you live to look to the interests of others before their own. So we will not solve the climate crisis until God does. But there is good. There is good stuff happening in COP27. There is. There is great ingenuity and artistry and advance in medicine. And yet, and one of the most memorable lectures I've ever been to began with these words from a professor of medicine in Edinburgh University. I would just like to remind my colleagues that the mortality rate is running at 100%. What advances in truth have we made as mankind? Which is why our churches increasingly are full of scientists. Philosophy or literature has built a bigger wall now between the gospel and people than science. And many of the kingdoms of the world and the context we live in are not anti-God in the sense of aggression and antagonism. And they're not like places in East Asia. Or are they? Remember, there are two kingdoms that is the kingdom of God, and that is the kingdom of this world. Indifference to God is also to reject God. Now, the kingdoms of this world are powerful. We've encountered that in Daniel. These beasts are powerful. They're menacing. They're iron. They're... And when you come up against the kingdoms of this world... And in one tiny way, I guess we have. 
you come up against a big institutional machine, a culture, and a media. It's pretty powerful. And that leaks over into the education system where your kids are. And it can be extraordinarily direct against them. It's powerful. It is in the vast majority. And uh, right back to how Jaunty uh, began, perhaps the most important verses in the book of Daniel are chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And chapter 1, verse 21. So verse 1, in the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, bang, hammer, hammer, hammer. He destroyed it. 586, the temple, the walls were destroyed. And that provocative statement, he took the vessels from the temple of God and he put them into uh, the, the museum in Babylon. Uh, John Lennox in his book calls that the relativizing of the absolute. He takes what's absolute and he puts it along alongside these other gods, relativizing the absolute. And what Belshazzar does in chapter 5 when he takes the vessels out of the museum is he absolutizes the relative. You can do what you like. I can do what I like. I'm powerful, he says. But Daniel 1 verse 2, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of his God. Daniel 1 verse 21, Daniel remained there. Where did he remain? Right at the heart of God's purposes, right at the heart of Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. Yeah, the kingdoms of this world are powerful and they're attractive and they are attractive. And I think there's, when you say they're attractive, I don't think we're saying that they're actually not. <laughs> the realm of common grace is attractive. I listen often on YouTube to a Russian pianist called Alexandra Malafif. He's the new prodigy. And he plays Rachmaninoff, as all Russian pianists do, one, two, and three, and it's magnificent, moving, and inspiring. And that's not sinister. It is a grace of God. It's not a saving grace. It's a common grace of God. You see it in the sporting arena. You see it in the Irish rugby team. When I was sitting in the departure round of Edinburgh Airport, the All Blacks got off the plane from Wales. And I was kind of shifting along in my... And there was Bowden Barrett and Geordie Barrett. It struck me about Bowden Barrett, he was just small. A magnificent ability with a rugby ball. How a team like the All Blacks can play with the intensity they do and not make a single error in 20 minutes of open play. It's extraordinary. Enticing. Our Lucy is at Dundee University doing medicine. Our David is at Glasgow University doing aeronautics, engineering. Our William is at St. Andrews University doing chemistry, very part-time. Each of them is going into an environment which is attractive, which is enticing, which has got much that is good in it, 
David, our middle one, is going to learn to build bridges. He will use mathematical equations that speak of God's creation. That's not bad. Lucy will fix people as a doctor. And she will come up against sin and its destruction of the human body. But she will also come up against the extraordinary creator, God. It is attractive, it is enticing, it is beguiling. And that's the first kind of sinister word I've introduced. It is persuasive. Now, Daniel was, I think, 16, 17 when he went into uh, Babylon as a young man. He, uh, and you can find all of this stuff online, he went through the Ishtar Gate. Um, and the Ishtar Gate is twice the height of this room. It's been reconstructed brick by brick in the museum in Berlin. As you approach the Ishtar Gate, all you would see from some distance are reliefs of lions and bulls and dragons. It was covered in blue azure bricks. It sparkled in the sun. Some of you will know Aberdeen, the granite city, hardly ever sunny. But when it is, it sparkles. Babylon shone. And you entered through the Ishtar Gate, and immediately you entered into the Ishtar Way. The walls were 14 feet high. That's halfway up this room, and it ran for three quarters of a mile, and every single yard there was a lion on the wall. And then the beautiful palaces, the ziggurats of Babylon appeared, and Daniel, Daniel was entering the Ivy League of the ancient world. King's College Babylon. What an opportunity. And we must not persuade our brightest and our best to not go to Cambridge or Oxford or Queen's or Edinburgh or to study law or medicine. Yes, God will call pastor teachers, but he will call Christians into all walks of life. But we need to warn them that that world is not the kingdom of God. And remember, while there is much good in it, it is not the kingdom of God. It is a world that has not turned to Christ. It is attractive, it is enticing, it is beguiling, it is persuasive, but it is transient. It comes and it goes. Seeing the hostile world uh, clearly. Secondly, seeing God clearly. And we've spent a lot of time on this, and rightly. The book of Daniel is primarily about God and not about us. And it's primarily to encourage us to see God for who he is. And what have we seen in the book of Daniel? We've seen God on his throne. What do we see in the book of Ezekiel, the other great exilic prophet? God on his throne, and then God on his chariot. What do we see in Revelation? Chapter 4, God on his throne. 
What do we see in Hebrews? God on his throne and Christ beside him. Where is God today? He is on his throne. He has never moved. He has never been disturbed. He has never been dislodged. He has never been vexed. And now beside him on his throne is the Son of Man, his eternal Son, who always was, but now beside God as a man. And he's a king. And he went from glory to earth. Think of Jonty's description. The greatest ark in history was Christ from glory who went down past all of the angels, down into this fallen world, and took upon himself human flesh and experienced all that we experience, every temptation, more than us because he never succumbed to it. He experienced the full force of temptation that culminated in Gethsemane. And he prayed twice in Gethsemane, one that he would follow his father's will, and then he prayed again that he would get through the next day. And he came through it, having been made sin and having experienced wrath, and he went from there to the grave, to the resurrection, to the ascension, to the right hand of God, where he was crowned, Daniel 7, and where that crown means that he will return. And that day in the future, all those who have not trusted in him, all human authorities and kingdoms, all people who have ever lived, will be under his feet as a footstool in judgment. Seeing the hostile world clearly, seeing God clearly, God on his throne, the Son of Man. One of the, uh, one of the things a book like Hebrews does is it, it's quite tough going in the sense that it's solid food. And it just enlarges your vision of Jesus. So, for example, we're in the section at the moment looking at Jesus as the great high priest. And, and I don't think our congregation or its ministers really had grasped the fact that we need a high priest. So we're so ca cautious about that, obviously. If we don't have a high priest, we, would be, we need it because we're not sinless. And we're having four chapters on Jesus, the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. And if you're hungry, then what's going to happen at the end of the next six weeks is that we will have a larger vision of the Son of Man as a church. And the applications thereby fall into place. Seeing God clearly, God is on His throne, the Son of Man reigns beside Him. He does have marks in his hands, though. And the kingdom of God, inaugurated with Christ's ascension or his first coming, is everlasting. In heaven there is a forever king, a forever priest, who reigns over a forever kingdom. That's reality. That's where you and I will spend eternity. How many years do we have left on this earth? 10, 20, 30? 40, 50, 
compared to eternity? And you start to see the challenge of a book of Daniel for our congregations, and first we must meet this challenge as uh, leaders. We are, we are marking out our days that are transient and temporal. They are but a breath in the kingdom of this world as kingdom citizens, and we must live as citizens of eternity and not as citizens of this world. And yet, like Daniel, and it's provocative and it's challenging, we've got to live on the line. We've got to go to the Tate Modern. We've got to love it, engage with it. So we've got a great coffee shop. So as you China cups but not be taken in. But we've got to go in, but not be taken in. We've got to go into university, but not be taken in. We've got to go into schools, but not be taken in. There were many young men like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. There's another interesting study we could do, the names in Daniel. It's funny how the Hebrew names keep popping up in the text. And the Babylonian names, Daniel, um, called Belteshazzar, Bel, the pagan god, may you protect my life, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Um, you ask a kid, what are the names of the people in Daniel? They'll say, Daniel, Shadrach, Mishael. No, no, no. Give them their Hebrew names. Give them their Hebrew names. There were many young men, and it was men then, and now it's men and women in the church who perhaps at the start of the 21st century in Scotland or in Ireland, sang the Lord's song with gusto. But now their song is mixed with culture and the world. There are people, I guess, in Ireland as well as in Scotland who sing the Lord's song with great gusto on a Sunday, but no one hears their song on a Monday. There's no evangelism, there's no engagement. But there are people, and there are people in this room, and there are people in your churches that God is calling, because remember the other Lord's Prayer. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is not the Lord's Prayer, it's our prayer. The Lord has two prayers, the high priestly prayer in John 17, and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. We can't do that. God uh, calls them, and He is in Scotland, and He is uh, here, who will sing. The Lord's song. And what does it look like, thirdly and finally? Seeing the hostile world clearly, that's one. Seeing God clearly. And seeing the Christian life clearly. Or singing the Lord's song. What does it look like? Well, the answer is in Daniel. Chapter 1. Distinctively. Chapter 1, verse... I think it's verse 8, chapter 1, verse 7, Ashpenaz, the chief official, put is the Hebrew word, new names on them. Daniel 1, verse 8, Daniel puts, the same verb, on his heart. Just be distinctive. We say to our guys when they go off to uni, I said to my kids, make sure you tell your hallmates in the first week, you're a Christian. Let the cat out the bag. Be distinctive. Daniel 1, pray for the teenagers in Ireland. Pray for your youth groups. Pray for real gospel clarity in them. 
Pray that people will be told there are two kingdoms and one king that is worthy of our eternal trust. See the Christian life clearly. Don't patronize our young people. Don't tell them that they're far too young to be distinctive for God. There's a wonderful group of people emerging in Scotland aged 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 that we are encouraging and nurturing towards future gospel ministry. They need the experience of growing up and life and the experience of the world, rightly. They mustn't be shielded from it. But my view is that that generation, many of your generation as youngsters in this room, I mean, I'm an oldie now, I have to send gruesome things through the post every two years to get tested. You are young. You don't, don't, don't think that responsibility and opportunity and leadership is for later. And those in my generation don't hold on to leadership forever. Multiply leaders. Distinctiveness, chapter one. Chapter two, how do we live the Christian life clearly? Wisely. Daniel went to uh, Arioch, the commander of the garden, and, and, and the text says, with wisdom, tact, and diplomacy. We have a fellow in, in Chalmers who comes often, Lord Mackay, who used to be the chancellor with Thatcher. And he has exercised a long and a faithful ministry in public life. And Daniel, I know, has been a huge book for him. You cannot fight every battle. And you do not have to fight them by shouting. Daniel chapter 1, he went to Ashpenaz with grace, with, please test your servants for 10 days. Gracious. There's something extraordinarily disarming about truth and love in combination. Distinctiveness, wisdom, chapter 2. Courage, chapter 3. That wonderful statement. And, and courage, raw courage. We will not bow down. And you mentioned, John T., it's quite a thing in public life to go against the whip and lose your job. It's quite a thing, even in our congregations, to be crystal clear on the gospel and lose the support of some people. Chapter 3, courage. Chapter... Four, we didn't look at that. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar straight. Tells the king straight. Chapter five, patience in obscurity. Chapter six, consistency. He did what he always did. Consistency in another way. And let me alert this danger to you as I alert it to myself Sally sent me today, uh, as she often does, the text of her devotional this morning, which is from Alistair Begg's 
devotional book, which is excellent. Today was on resist temptation. Be aware of the devil's tempting darts when you're away from home, it's ahead. All the time. The wonderful thing is that we can turn to the Son of Man that we see in Hebrews when we are fighting temptation for help, and if we fail, we turn to him for forgiveness. It's extraordinary ratchet of the gospel. Let me encourage you, as I encourage myself and have put these structures in place, to have strong and rigorous accountability partners with you and make them in your own church. If you're a minister, they're called elders. Be honest with each other. When Eric Little, a famous Scot, won the uh, most, so Scots to lose well is actually better than winning. It's a strange cultural phenomenon. So to lose by one point to Australia was in fact better than to have won. It's a strange thing in our psyche. But Eric Little won, 1924. When asked what the secret was of his victory, in the 400, whatever it was. He said, I, 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 when the gun goes, boom. And you saw, it, when he runs, you can see it on chariots of fire. You know. When I get to the back straight, I, I get my head down and run again. And then the final bend, and, and when it comes to the last straight, I just fix my eyes on the line and I make sure. Now, what a coup it is for the devil if he can take you out of ministry after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or in retirement. Finish well. And finish well means today, tomorrow the next day. Consistency. Daniel chapter 6. They could find nothing on him. No spin, no deceit. He was neither negligent nor corrupt in any way. Consistency. Courage that went into the lion's den thinking that was the end of his life. And he really did. Remember, he had had no experience other than to know of Shadrach, Meshach, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fire. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, through the visions, how do we live distinctively? If I could capture the mood of these visions, it would be prayerfully, humbly, fearfully, and joyfully. When you catch a sight of God and the Son of Man, it is a mixture of fear and joy. Our Father, in heaven. Abba, on your throne. Intimacy, reverence, imminence, transcendence. My Father, my King, my God. Seeing the hostile world clearly, seeing God clearly, seeing the Christian life uh, clearly. I guess we could add a fourth, but will not. Seeing eternity clearly. And let's all in our ministries commit to clarity and winsomeness and being irenic. But remember there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God and His Christ, the Lord Jesus. Let me finish with the final words of Daniel once again. And what we need to do is go back to our churches and put Daniel out of our minds a little bit at least until we preach it. As for you, go your way till the end and you will rest 
And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for all those in this room and all the ministers of the gospel in uh, this part of the world and in Scotland and the UK. And there are many challenges. Grant, Lord, to us all real clarity on the gospel, real clarity on what's going on in the world, real clarity on what the Christian life is. And that ability to run that line of living in the world but not of the world, of singing a clear gospel song that intersects, that is persuasive, but is not a song where the lines are changed to accommodate the culture or this fallen world. And Lord, we pray that you would do what we can never do. We can be faithful, we can be clear, but only you can send the spirit of energy and revival and life and raise up gospel workers, raise up committed Christian elders, deacons, leaders, businessmen, electricians, teachers, doctors, plumbers, and raise up many people to everlasting righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, this world is headed to an inevitable conclusion. And that conclusion is both frightening judgment and wonderful and joyful. The resurrection of this earth and the resurrection of our bodies. And if we are still alive, our translation into the new creation, forevermore with Jesus, this wonderful, wonderful Savior. Lord, give us all strength in our stride. Let us shine like stars. And may you be pleased to grant us that great joy of leading many to righteousness. For Christ's sake and for his glory, we pray all these things. Amen. Nima.